Recovery Elevator, episode 264. And it was just freeing to me because when I said alcoholic, there was no need for me to even go down this path. Why, why investigate it any further? Because I wasn't that. But when I heard drinking problem, that's me. And then I knew from there on, I got to make a change. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we have Aaron. He's 54 years old from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and took his last drink on October 6th, 2019. In his interview, he talks about how a major internal shift took place when he started listening for similarities opposed to the differences. It's a great interview. You all are going to love it. Haven't mentioned this in a while, but the book Alcohol is Shit, this is my book, is now out on Amazon, and this book is still a bestseller in several categories on Amazon. I'm pumped. And guys, also on the homepage of recoveryelevator.com, you can enter your email address and sign up for a free five-day video course. You get a video sent to your inbox every single day for five days. I've had great feedback on this course, and I had a great time making it. And guys, one more thing before we get started. This June 11th to the 13th, Recovery Elevator will be live in Denver, Colorado with an event titled Dancing with the Mind. You'll learn how to create your future, happy, wholesome, authentic self that no longer needs alcohol, and you'll draw this new life to you like a magnet in the present moment. You'll build lifelong in-person connections with others who no longer wish to drink. This event, like all Recovery Elevator events, is going to be fun. Go to recoveryelevator.com for more information and to register. And one more thing, this event is open to spouses. They need their healing as well. There will be specific breakout sessions for them. Okay, let's get started. I'd like to read you a poem. Here we go. Staring down from the bridge at the moon, broken up in the river. Who could know without looking up, it stands whole above its shattered self. I love this poem by Tess Gallagher. There are a couple directions I want to go with this. The first is that it's possible for things to coexist in your life. In fact, that's how it usually is. The second is, despite how broken or shattered you're feeling at this very moment, deep down, under the surface of the tumultuous sea, there's a bright, anchoring full moon that exists. Okay, first point. For some reason, we hate gray areas. The brain doesn't like it when things don't fit neatly into a box or can be labeled or categorized. In fact, this is the reason why probably one of the hardest parts of this journey is do I have a drinking problem or not? We want the answer to this question to be clear. We want to take a Scantron, neatly fill in the bubbles with a sharpened number two pencil and get a yes or no response. And when the answer is yes, you do, and no, you don't, at the same time, the mind spins, and we continue to search for a better test. We don't do well when the answer to a question includes both yes and no. This is probably when you ask someone how they're doing, the default response is always good, even though there are parts of them internally that are like, damn it, Dale, someone just asked you how you were doing, and this part of us isn't doing good. We should have said something. In a society that rewards blasting through to-do lists, we often don't feel a sense of winning or completeness until something is done or when there is nothing left to do. 
For some, this works, and then wait an hour, wait a day, and something else shows up that needs to be done. There will always be something to do. What I want to cover with you is that it's possible to feel calm and accomplished while we still have things to do. And here are some examples. We can be great at pickleball, but terrible at water polo. We might have a favorite movie, and there might be scenes we fast forward. We might love the music in a song, but not jive with the lyrics. We might love our spouse, but hate it when he wears that sweatshirt over and over. We might love season eight of Sunny in Philadelphia, but wonder how the hell the third episode made the cut. I love Third Eye Blind, everybody, but there are some songs that I don't. We can be both naked and clothed at the same time. Here's a good one for this podcast. The glass can be both half empty and half full at the same time. This coexistence happens everywhere, even though this doesn't sit well with the brain. For some reason with humans and our still developing and evolving minds, we'd rather be sober or not. We want to be happy or not. And everything else in the middle is simply yellow Skittles. Internally, we want the same. We want to be whole, and we often fail to embrace anything that isn't, even if it's just a small part of us that isn't. But the reality is, just as the moon reflecting on the water can be shattered, while the source of light above is whole, is we can be both fractured and anchored at the same time. In fact, I cover this in episode 224 with Which Wolf You Will Feed, and I recommend you go back and listen to that episode. It's important. We recognize both parts of the personality equally. One of them says, we're good. Bring it on, world. Is that all you got? And then there's another part of us that is cohabilitating in the same vessel that says something like, hey, you, let's just uh, stay under the duvet until noon. And this part wants to scream from a mountaintop that you've had enough and that you don't know how much more you can take. This is the voice that you have been ignoring for a long time. How do I know that? Because you're listening to this podcast. Your drinking problem represents part of your psyche, most likely with the inner child, that are in dire need of a hug, that need healing, and they're starting to scream for attention. You dig? Is this hitting home? I think it is. So this journey, it isn't like the George Strait song, Check Yes or No. It's a both. It's more like the Diamond Rio song, Meet Me in the Middle. You guys, I've been waiting so long to find a way to plug the Diamond Rio song, Meet Me in the Middle, in this podcast. I think I successfully did that. So you may find yourself both broken and whole, both happy and unhappy, both joyful and miserable, sometimes all before your lunch break. The point of this segment isn't to provide tools of how to mitigate any of these feelings, but to recognize that they both have to coexist, as in there has to be balance, and the addiction represents a need of balance. Addiction isn't something you beat, but something that guides you, eases you back into this balance, this homeostasis, this equilibrium. Okay, on to the next point. You may be feeling completely shattered at this very moment, which is completely fine. You might be saying, could things get any worse, Paul? How did it come to this? Hey, Paul, am I too far gone? I need a miracle. Dear God, please help. In fact, that might be the only four-letter prayer that you know, and you might be reciting it every day. It's completely fine. We've all been there, including myself. Just want to throw that out there. 
First off, it's okay to have a pity party for an hour or two, a couple days max. But even when you're feeling your worst, remind yourself there is still a full moon inside. Imagine a storm in the middle of the ocean and you find yourself on a tiny life raft. That's a wild ride. Indeed, it is. But then imagine if you could do a cross-section of that scene, like an ant farm toy from the 80s, and you'll see a different picture, what the picture really is. On the surface, yes, put on your life vest. But below, everything is just fine. Everything has always been just fine. And deep down, you know this to be the ultimate truth as well. So when you're in the middle of a craving or a tough emotion, you can choose to ride it out on the surface or be deep down in the sea. And the surface here would be the mind. And the deep in the sea is the belly area of the body. Do your best to get out of the mind and stay in the body, preferably with belly breaths. Try putting your hand on your belly. Fill your belly up using your diaphragm. Push your hand out and bring it back for about 15 to 20 minutes. Now, science shows that the average emotion, and for this podcast, we're going to use the word craving to, to couple it with emotion, lasts about 20 minutes. So say, hey, Siri, set me a timer for 20 minutes. Sit in a chair. Do everything possible to pull your energies out of your mind. Even pull them out of your chest and put them right on your belly where your, your hand makes contact with the belly and breathe. Breathe out for a count of four. Breathe in for a count of four. If you do this over and over, every time you pull your thoughts out of your mind, out of your chest, into your belly, that's a bicep curl for the mind. And it's recognizing that we don't have to follow the shitstorm of this storm. I do an Instagram TV video about this. So go to the Recovery Elevator Instagram page. And I think it's one of the posts that was done about a month ago. And you can see there's about a 10 minute video of how to face these difficult emotions. So this is also like riding gale force winds out while hanging out in the branches. Climb down the tree, the mind, and go to the trunk where things are most stable, the body and the belly. Again, check the video out on the Instagram page. I want to reiterate again that it's okay to feel broken and whole at the same time or feel like dog shit one day and amazing the next. In fact, you can feel like dog shit 10 times in one day and amazing 10 times in one day. There's nothing wrong with this. There's no one way to do this. There's nothing wrong with you. This is normal. In biology, this is called symbiosis. And internally, this coexistence is normal. It all fits together. So this is an important topic that we cover today. I know many of you like more tangible episodes where there's a clear action to take. But this one is paramount. Just like millions of species that have been co-mingling on the planet for decades, internally, the same thing needs to happen. It all has its place. Okay, and before we hear from Aaron, let's hear from my favorite resource, Cafe RE. The three most important lessons I've learned while quitting drinking are, we can't do this alone, we need accountability, and a supportive community is key. In the private unsearchable Facebook groups, Cafe RE, you're going to get all three and much more. What does private mean? Well, these groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who's in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to ditch the booze. These groups are capped at under 350 members to ensure a quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking doesn't have to suck. In fact, it can be a lot of fun. For $19 a month, 
You too can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and much more. Oh yeah, you'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Aaron, how are you? I am great, Paul. And how are you doing up there in Montana? <laughs> yeah, Aaron, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking, my man. And let's get right into this. When was your last drink? Last drink was 128 days ago, October 6th, 2019. There you go. A little over four months away from the booze. How's it feel, Aaron? It feels good. I didn't think I could do this. And it's totally turn the, the, the corner that I feel absolutely amazing. feel so strong now that I don't need it. I don't know how I ever did that before. So I feel great. Good stuff. Good and stuff. listeners, I usually have a quick conversation before I hit the record button. We do a sound test. But with Aaron, we chatted for a little longer and he mentioned that he was out there cutting grass on his farm and he couldn't quite relate with the word alcoholic. And I know that line right there resonated with a lot of listeners, but there was a softer entry point. He heard the word drinking problem. And from that moment on, he started focusing on the similarities and not the differences. And real quick with the entry point. So the word alcoholic, and there's even a further word, a raging alcoholic, right? And then they get softer, drinking problem, sober, curious, alcohol use disorder. There's tons of words to describe a, a drinking problem, shall we say. And so for this interview and for all future episodes, find a word that resonates with you. It's not a label that you need to stick to. And so, Aaron, I appreciate the prompt with that. And talk to us real quick about what it was like when you, you, you did hit that moment, say, drinking problem. Hmm, I know I'm not an alcoholic, which is okay, um, but maybe I have a drinking problem. How did things shift? And just cover that real quick before we get into your story. Okay. All I did was listen to your podcast, and I would hear these raging drinking problems where these alcoholics were saying they would drink all night long and, and drink a case a night, seven days a week. Go, And I saw this happening in my brother as well. And I thought, I am not an alcoholic. I drink, but I'm not an alcoholic. And when I, I said to my wife, it was starting to, I started to hear more words and more interviews that said, you know, I have a drinking problem. And I remember the first time I heard that, I, I like probably paused and I thought, crap, I may have a drinking problem. Maybe there's different levels to this, but maybe I have a drinking problem. I went back and I told my wife, I said, hon, I, I don't know. I, I may be like an alcoholic. And she looked at me and just laughed and said, you're not an alcoholic. Are you kidding me? Because we, we think of that. And I, remember, I remember hearing you say, you know, the guy under the bridge with a bag with a you know, bottle. And I said, no, you don't understand it. It's, it's a, I, I, I can't stop. I, I, when I go for a beer, I don't want one. I want many. And I want the buzz. I'm not doing it because it's a colorful IPA to, to have a soothing drink at dinner. I'm getting the buzz on. And I thought, crap, I have a drinking problem. And it was just freeing to me because when I said alcoholic, there was no need for me to even go down this path. Why, why investigate it any further? Because I wasn't that. But when I heard drinking problem, that's me. And then I knew from there on, I got to make a change. Aaron, I love how you said it was freeing because once the conscious and the unconscious find traction with whatever word you want, it's kind of game over after that. There's no going back and that's when alcohol is ruined for you. And you mentioned that in your notes that you sent me before. And I have ruined alcohol for so many and I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. I guess that's what I've been set to do with this podcast mission. 
All right, Aaron, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age. Do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? 54 years old, live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I am a chiropractor, so I love health. I love fitness. I love exercise. I have a farm, 65-acre farm. We have 12 cows, 45 sheep, chickens, a couple goats, some dogs. I am not a farmer, but I turned into a farmer. <laughs> so I don't know if I call that that's my fun, but that's my getaway from life and, uh, and relax. And I also continue to play rugby with the young guys at 54. So I, I consider that my fun exercise and, and my out of stress and anxiety. I play rugby with the guys. Are you playing touch rugby or are you actually tackling dudes <sighs> at 54? It's all out tackle, mouthpiece in, hitting. <laughs> well, we, we're doing a Skype face-to-face, and he's got photos of x-rays. Uh, is it, you said chiropractor, right? Yeah. yeah. And I see in the background, you've got photos of the human skeleton. So I think you're in good shape if you could tackle a little too hard. But that's impressive, man. I'm, I'd love to be playing rugby at age 54. <laughs> good stuff. Now, Aaron, give listeners a little background with your drinking. When did you first recognize it was a problem? Did you ever attempt to put any rules in place? Did the rules work? And were there any rock bottom moments? I'm excited to share your story with the audience. Well, looking back in high school, I never drank. My brother and sister kind of gave my parents problems. And they they just said they drank. They gave them problems. My mom said to me, look, you're not going to do this. You're going to college. You're going to make something of yourself. So never drank through college. Again, never drank until my dad passed away of heart failure. I was in my junior year at college. Was he a heavy drinker? No, he was not a drinker at all. Okay. And um, he had some health problems and he was on a lot of meds, had surgery, it failed, and had his final heart attack at age 50. So it kind of shook me and thought, you know, I I said to myself, this isn't going to happen to me. I'm going to figure this heart stuff out. I'm going to be extremely healthy. And I think that's what drives me today to continue doing what I do and play rugby. But that summer, my friend came over to my house. My mom was away on vacation, and I was home alone. He had a couple of wine coolers, and he he left them for me. He says, hey, if you want these wine coolers, and I never drank. And I'm like, you know what, maybe feeling a little pity, a little sadness, a little, hey, who gives a crap at this point in my life? My, I lost my dad. I'm in college. I don't drink. I'm going to have a wine cooler. Well, I had a wine cooler, and I got a little like, wow, mm. this this feels good. Had my second wine cooler and loved how it felt. And I thought, I'm buying more of these things. And I told him and he, he said, I turned you into this problem. I said, no, it would have happened eventually. So that proceeded through college, you know, college life. I started drinking and drink. I was the class clown in high school. So I was very energetic, a lot of fun, but shy, if that makes sense, class clown and shy. Drinking was like the class clown on steroids. I was just the life of the party. And I love that. I thought it was just a blast. I I was getting attention. I think that's where it stemmed from. And that continued through college. Had a run-in with the college police once when I broke a door at a a college dance, but got a little fine, a little slap on the hand. I thought, hey, not a big deal. Just keep going. You know, I can get through this. That next year, I wrecked my car, and I was coming home from a girlfriend's house. I was drunk. Wrecked my car about three miles from my house and flipped it was a little honda prelude so god's i looked over my life and see how god protected me i got out of the car and i was student teaching at the time and i thought i don't remember this because i I was drunk but i probably thought to myself you're going to lose your teaching opportunity get the heck out of here so i got out of the car and i jogged to my friend's house 
the guy that actually gave me the wine coolers, his parents. And I knew they'd be cool with it. And they brought me in and they, we drove up, saw that the police were at the scene. And he says, I'm going to take you home. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. Get your car tomorrow. We'll be toady. Help me through it. And I got, got away with it. It's one of those things like, ah, okay, I'll just be better next time. I'll just, I'll learn how to do this better. Wow. So Aaron, the signs are there in your early twenties after you had that first drink with the wine cooler. And we've heard that familiar, wow, this is it. This is helping me soothe this internal turmoil, which with your dad passing away. And yeah, pick it up from there. So I graduate, I moved to Florida and I'm 21 years old, got a teaching degree, moved down by myself, 21 in Florida. And I'll never forget the day I went to like a gas station, probably to get gas. And I went in to pay and there was beer and wine in coolers in the gas station. In Pittsburgh, it's not like that. And I thought, wow, I just hit paradise. This I can get beer anywhere. This is amazing. 21. That's what I'm thinking. So I didn't drink much. I, I only drank on weekends. Then I started playing rugby then. And of course, rugby and beer kind of go hand in hand. So I would drink on the weekends, but I wouldn't drink during the week. And I, I kept it pretty good. I went to chiropractic school. Same thing. I kept it pretty good. Drank on the weekends. And some sometimes it was heavy on the weekends. But I was I had to get through school. We had our first daughter in school. So I kept it together. And when I graduated, got out through my 30s, even 40s, I would drink during the weekends and parties, events. But it wasn't until I think my late 40s that I started to see this as, holy cow, I don't think I've had a week that I haven't not drank. And even though it was on the weekends, I thought, I can't believe I can't stop for three months or six months. And I started to crave, I started to crave beer and I started to want it more. And I just, probably in my late 40s, I just saw it as being, you, you might have a little issue here, but no big deal. I just kept So was going. that something you filed away in your memory? Like, let's, let's just be aware of this. In an email you sent me, you said you started noticing that you wanted to drink more in your 40s and 50s. What was that feeling like when you go, wait a second, I'm wanting to drink more. Uh, I have seen other people or I live in, a community, live in a world where there are alcoholics. Was there any idea in your mind that it could have gone there at that moment? No, I saw it happening to my brother, <clears throat> but I, I had it in control. You know, I, I, I wasn't like that. So I didn't even consider it. I just saw it as I would like to be able to stop drinking just to say I didn't, didn't need a drink. At that and moment, maybe, did you try to cut back or try to quit for a bit? Uh, maybe for a week. <laughs> okay. It was just an idea, a concept at that tone. Just a concept and just a thought. And I think like what you said, when you start putting this out in the universe, I don't hit this maybe later is it starts to come back and haunt you and really you, you it start it starts to take you down a different path wait what so, do you mean when you put this out in the universe this starts to come back to haunt you well i i remember when and I, this is listening to your podcast when you said you know when you say to the universe i have a drinking problem it's gonna it's gonna open up and i i looked at it as it's gonna open up uh, uh, uh it's gonna kick my butt so when i i would say that before I think probably 2017, 2018, I was in my early 50s, I would say, you know what, I should stop drinking, but uh, I like how it feels. I have I have some money to buy some drinks. Why Why am I, I'm, I'm a business owner. I've worked hard all my life. I have five kids. Why can't I? And But I, I kept saying it casually. And when I saw my kids start to have problems, my daughter wrecked her car once my other daughter wrecked her car drunk and she could have died 
that was one of those moments that I said, this, this has to stop. I've got to be a, 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 an example for my kids. I've seen relationships broken from alcohol with my kids. And I would also, and I've never seen this when I was earlier, but I, I saw my, my uh, one daughter, she was 18, 19, say, oh, I can't wait till I'm 21 to have a glass of wine like mom. And I'm like, oh, crap, this is not good. And I started to realize I have a compulsive behavior that when I, I remember when I started picking up running in between my, like my 30s, in between rugby years, I said, uh, I'm going to start running. I'm going to run a marathon. You know, why, why shoot for anything low? So I just started training and I got up to 30, 40 miles a week, ran many marathons through, you know, several years. I'm like, why did I go? Why did I have to go that far? So I, and I started to see same with beers is when I had a beer, I didn't want one. I wanted many. There was an episode I was sitting, I was hunting in my tree stand. I forget what the guy's name was, but this was a turning point. This was a kind of a, a, a point that I said, this has got to stop. He said he stopped drinking, and his wife asked him once, and it was probably several months after he stopped drinking. His wife said, do you want one margarita? And he says, no, I don't want one margarita. He goes, I want five margaritas. And I thought, why would he say that? And, and he proceeded to say that you know he, was, he wanted to feel how it felt on five. He didn't want one. If he was going to drink one, he's drinking five. And I thought, that's me. I, I, I didn't want one beer. I want four. I want five. And I just and I, I could stop it at four, five, six, but I would feel like crap the next day. But I could stop it. So I, I I didn't consider myself, you know, a raging, horrible alcoholic, but I still had a problem. And it doesn't matter what level it is, it was still my problem affecting my life in a way that I, I didn't like it and and I had to stop. So when I um when I said that, hey, I've got to stop drinking, and this was a, a few years before everything started to um fall apart. Drinking started to be horrible. And Eric, let me comment on a couple of things there. So earlier you mentioned there was almost, it sounds like an internal divide of conflict. You wanted to keep going with it, but you were also recognizing that in your late forties, early fifties, that you're wanting to drink more. Then you have this moment in the tree stand where your, your friend's wife offers him a drink and he says, no, I don't want one. I want four or five. And I know everybody's nodding in their car, in their house or wherever they're listening at this right now, they're saying, what's the point of just one? So boom, that hits home. And there's this internal divide happening. Like you said earlier, I want to keep going with it, but I also want to stop. And there's a fracture that's happening in the mind. And this is difficult. This is probably one of the hardest parts of this journey is when there's two, the, the two voices in the head say, number one, I'm done. We wake up in the morning and make a conscious effort, conscious, that's butting up against the unconscious, which is 95% of the programming. And then later that day, we're drinking and we're baffled. We have no idea what the hell happened. And I want to comment on earlier how you said it can haunt you when you make that internal declaration that says, I'm done drinking and it can haunt you. I'm going to rephrase that. And I like how you said that because it can. Sometimes we don't like the way our intentions are received or the way the answer comes back to us. But these are universal laws that the in the inner environment has to mirror the external environment. So what we're asking for on the inside, the, the outside is going to match up. And once we make that internal declaration, it's clear, it's coherent, it's concise, then the external environment has to line up. It actually has no choice. So when we do find traction and we hit that tipping point that more than 50% of us, the unconscious, wants to quit drinking, the external environment will align. And often we want this to look like we wake up one day and say, whoa, 
I am going to go for a run. I am going to go to yoga and I don't want to drink today. For some, that can happen. I've only interviewed one or two. Those are the rare cases. For many of us, the emotional distresses, the external pains, perhaps there'll be somebody else in our life that says, hey, Aaron, or hey, Paul, uh, you need to quit drinking. It'll align. Maybe there's a traffic infraction. Maybe there's a job issue. And that's what you're talking about, how it can come to haunt you. And of course, when, when I made that declaration in my external environment, that's when things really started to heat up. And I looked at it like I was, ha- it was, I was being haunted by it. By looking back, I was like, wow, this, this incredibly compassionate universe whose signature is love matched up for me perfectly when my intention was clear. And it sounds like you put this intention out there at just the right time because you made, you're like, Hey, I'm going to go for a run. You end up running several marathons and it looked like your drinking was ramping up to be a marathon effort. And you put that intention out there before that happened. So before we got to that, you quit, you mentioned, so instead of stopping, you would try to hide it. And I know a lot of listeners right there, they're like, yeah, Aaron, my man, me too. And you notice that four beers would make you mean. You started hiding beer bottles out on the barn garbage can. You're putting it in cereal boxes so your wife couldn't count them. Talk to us about this phase of you would try to hide it before you fully got on board with stopping. Yeah, this went on for years. This was probably in my late 40s. And I would I would have, and this is where the haunting was, is I, I remember... Probably, it, I probably listened to your podcast for about three years, and I think it was about that time that I heard you say that, and that when you put it out there, it, you, the universe is going to start aligning to what you want, and it's going to start making things happen. So, as I was hiding the beers, and I would, you know, drink four, I would put two. I remember I, I put them in cereal boxes. My wife said, "How many did you have?" I said, "I just had two. Don't we? We all say two. And she goes, "You hid them in the cereal boxes." I'm like, oh, crap, she found that. <laughs> so I'm going to have to hide them somewhere else. So I'd put them out on the porch. I would put them in other garbage cans. And I, you know, I'd go out to the barn, drop them in the barn garbage. But I was going through this conflict in my late 40s, early 50s, that I would have two, two or three beers. And I would wake up at 4 in the morning with this pounding, splitting headache. I felt like I was going to die. And I don't like taking meds. And I would have to crawl to the cabinet. And I started to, I would turn the light on in our bathroom. My wife would see, she's like, you're taking pills for your headache. So you drank last night. So she started to see this pattern. So I'd keep them in the kitchen. Somebody on the outside is starting to say, Hey, Aaron, you're taking pills for your drinking. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, crap. I can't let her see this. So I put them in the kitchen. So I would try to be as quiet as I can sneak down to the kitchen, take my ibuprofen, and then stumble back to bed with a pounding headache, hoping that it would go away by the time I woke up. And this was happening maybe a couple times a month. And I was only, and I would look back and think, I had two beers last night. Why is this happening to me? And then other times I could have three, four, five, and I'd be fine. So then I, the same thing happened where two or three beers, I'd wake up and I'd, I'd be puking. I felt, I'm like, oh my, I felt like I just drank a case of beer like I did in college. I'd sneak down in the basement bathroom so, again, nobody would hear me puking, puke and think, why is this happening to me? This is, this is not fair. This is crazy. Other people can drink six beers and they're fine. They can drink a case and they're fine. Here, I'm drinking two and I feel absolutely horrible. So this went on for about four years. But when I heard you say that on one of your podcasts, that when you put it out there, 
it's going to come back. And I thought, this is what I've done. This is, I put it out there. So for probably in my early 52 or so, 51, 52, when I started listening to your podcast, I was saying it, but I didn't really believe it yet. I didn't want it to happen. I didn't want to give up the feeling of, hey, I feel buzz on on the weekend, or giving up, hey, pl- playing games on 4th of July, having a beer, um, going out play, you know, after rugby, having a beer. I'm like, I got to give all that up. And I'm like, what am I losing here? And I, I felt like I was losing some fun, some excitement, so that there was a turmoil that was just, I was in battle with all the time. Yeah, that turmoil is the hardest part of this journey when there is that internal conflict, the internal divide, where you haven't quite hit the tipping point, which is the energy around the decision to move forward in life without alcohol is greater than the energy of addiction. That's the hardest part about it. But as soon as we hit that tipping point, that 50.00001, after that, it's game over. It doesn't mean it's your last drink, but that's when the traction hit. And Aaron, we've got four months away from alcohol. I want to focus on that time as well. So quickly get us up to speed before your sobriety date. So at, uh, in 2018, I, was, I, I stopped drinking for six months and my da- oldest daughter got married. I didn't drink an ounce at the wedding. I was fun. Nobody knew. It wasn't like I was a dead guy on the sidelines. I was having fun dancing. I had a blast. I was so proud that I could do that. But I said to myself, hey, I got this had an IPA at a, at a bar one night. My wife looked at me and said, you're cr- why? That went on for about a year into 2019. And then I kept seeing myself, I, I had to stop. I, I, I was still going through this turmoil, feeling sick, having headaches. And I said, I've got to stop. This is crazy. This is affecting my kids. And at that time in, the, in October, I said it, but I really meant it. And I felt something different that time. I thought, I can give this up. I'm not giving up fun, being fun and exciting and having a blast in my life. I'm giving up something that could potentially ruin my family. Maybe my kids die from a DUI, and I could be partly responsible. And that, that really broke me. I thought, I can't keep doing this. Please, God, help me. And, I, and in October, right before October 6th or that day, that week, I said to myself, I'm done. I, I'm done. It was Monday morning. Sunday was my last drink. For the first week or two, I all I did was listen to your podcast. In fact, I, I looked into some other books and uh, podcasts. They didn't resonate with me. Your podcast resonated. That's the only thing I did. I didn't do AA. I didn't tell anyone else besides my wife. And she couldn't. She couldn't. She loved loves me. And she but she couldn't relate because she could have one glass of wine and drink half of it and put it down. And I thought. You're not going to finish that? You crazy? So it just didn't. She just didn't understand. And uh, I thought I'm done. So I listened to your podcast, going to work, coming home from work, working out. I listened to two, three podcasts a day. I just said I'm going to listen to every story. I'm I'm going to get through a week. I'm going to lose this 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 uh, desire. It's going to break. I'm, I know I can do this. I know it's going to break. I had cravings, but I just. I just blocked them and I turned to ice cream. I hear other people do this and I try to eat really healthy. The only thing I thought was bad enough that kind of, I don't know if this makes sense, but I, I didn't, I didn't want to eat carrots and celery. I thought if I do something bad, I'll feel like I'm still like doing something bad. So ice cream is bad, but it's not alcohol. So I'm going to do that. So I started eating ice cream like crazy. I'm like, Oh God, now I'm, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting a bad habit there. 
So I, I, I ate ice cream and I listened to your podcast and probably within a couple weeks, the, the mental cravings, cause it, it wasn't really physical cravings at that point. It was just mental cravings kind of like started to simmer down and they started to slow up and I would get a craving and I, I've heard this from so many other people on the podcast, just write it out. It's going to go away. Just write it out. And before I wouldn't write it out. If I had a craving, I'd go get a 12 pack, bring it home and I would just wait to drink that. It was on my mind. This time I thought, just just get home, listen to his podcast, get home, get some ice cream on the way if you want. That'd be your your way out tonight and you'll be you'll be fine. And something happened over these these last 128 days. It was probably a month or so into it. I felt better this time. And I will not say I've got this. I'm not never gonna say that again. But I feel like I'm in a different place now. I don't have a desire. We went out to eat last night, my wife and I, and I sat there and I thought, I would have drank this type of beer, this type of beer on the menu, and I said, I have no desire. I had sparkling water with pineapple juice. I'm like, this is cool, and, but I don't miss it at all this time. It's Something really clicked, and uh, I, feel, I feel better and stronger now. Sparkling water with pineapple juice, wow. I'm not too sure I've, I've tried that yet, I'll have to. Let's back it up for a second here. I wish I had a tally of people that had a, a fiery rock bottom moment, something that in our mind is what we think a rock bottom moment looks like, whether we're fired from a job, a DUI, a friend or a wife or a spouse leaves us, something like that. But I think the majority of us, we wake up one day and we've heard it on the podcast, simply being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's where the message goes from the conscious through the analytical part of the brain to the unconscious. And that's the tipping point that we've heard earlier. We don't really know the how. We're not, we don't quite have that sorted. In fact, the thinking mind will try, but it can't figure that out either. But as we said, it's just something was different. And that's the window, or that's the moment of clarity. That's the conduit, the window, where the window opens. And it's open for a brief moment in time. Even though I do said once that tipping point is hit, it can actually go back. So if you do have that tipping point moment, that moment of clarity where the window is open, right? And it can shut in a moment of time. That's when you got to do the work. That's when you just got to dig your heels. And it sounds like you just listen to podcasts and, and ice cream. Good stuff, Aaron. Go eat as much ice cream as you can in the first month or for, for whatever, right? We're simply downgrading. It's called harm reduction here. So if you eat a couple gallons of ice cream a week and you're not drinking alcohol, that's a win in my book. So sounds like you listen to podcasts, you dug your heels in, you made that definitive decision to just not drink. Thanks for listening, by the way. And you told your wife, what else has been working for you in these last four months? Have you burned any more ships? What's working for you? What I did is I have your, your app and I have it on my phone and probably about two months into it, I didn't want to say anything to my kids. And I don't know why. I, I haven't really said anything to, to friends or family. Now I'm starting to tell people that, hey, I'm just not drinking anymore. I lost my brother. He's 59. He was an alcoholic January 1st this year. To He had a cardiac arrest, and it was all stemming from alcohol over the years. And that was another kind of nail in the coffin that I said, I, I, I'm not going to do this. I, this, is, this alcohol sucks. This is, so, this is the worst drug we have. And I just, I, I listened to your podcast. I told my wife. And then, then I started telling my kids, I said, hey, I haven't had a beer for 90 days. And they're like, oh, really? Oh, that's cool. And I didn't say anything. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell them not to drink. 
I just said, you know what? It's not worth it. Real quick, Aaron, was their reaction underwhelming? You said, oh, really, Dad? That's cool. In your mind, did you have this this concept of how they were going to react, how your wife was going to react, how everybody else was going to react? No, because I don't think they saw it as a big problem that I saw. They didn't okay. see it. So they, did, they didn't like kind of like, oh, okay, you know, that's cool that you did it. No big deal. But I now I, I show them, hey, look how much money I saved over the last three or four months, over $1,000. You know, and, I, and that was based on a conservative effort. <laughs> I thought, 1000 bucks. So my, I showed it to my kids and I sent them a text and I'll say, hey, I just hit day 100. I just hit day 120. This is pretty cool. So I, my point in that is I, I want them to know I, I, I stopped and support me, however they want to support me. But I really want them to see it as maybe they can do this too. They don't have to drink. And it could carry over into their life. I want to live by example. Listeners, I want you to take a note out of Aaron's book. This healing process, the departure from alcohol, has to be a collaborative effort. Gone are the days since the inception of 1935 where Alcoholics Anonymous was created. Great program, but that was more of an isolation thing. It was just alcoholics in recovery. I'm not a big fan of that word myself. But now it is becoming more of a collaborative effort. You're sharing screenshots with your children, with your kids saying, check it out. Just saved a thousand bucks. Day 90, day, you know, day 100, day 110. That is how we need to ditch the booze, bring the full community on board moving through this. I absolutely love how you did that. Now, Aaron, what's probably the biggest thing you've learned about yourself along the way? Biggest thing, I I think I saw myself as being compulsive and having a problem, and I can break the problem in in this. I, I don't need it. So as I saw that behavior, that habit of being bad, hurting me and my physical health, my family life, I thought, I can do this. I've done great things in my life. I, I, I'm still in incredible shape playing rugby with these young 20 and 30-year-olds. I can do things in my life. I'm a chiropractor. I have a great business. I can do this. And um, I saw that as, as kind of a, an achievement, like an award. I can get through this just like I did everything else in life. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to keep me captive. I can break through. And I do want to comment on your younger brother. He passed away this January 1st, 2020. I'm sorry you hear about that, Aaron. There's something that I want to mention in the emails that you recognized that the younger brother, you, was following a similar path. What did that feel like when that hit? Uh, kind of scary. And I, I saw, I think there, there is a tendency in families, genetically, behaviorally, physiologically, because I, I see, I saw it in a couple of my kids. And a couple of my kids have really no desire to have, they'll have one beer and that's it. And I never understood that. I thought, how can you just have one beer? As soon as I have one, it kicks in and I want many. And I thought, this has the potential to get me too. If I, I even though I'm strong and I'm athletic and I, I kind of force my health up on one end, the other, the alcohol end is still pulling me down. And I didn't want that to be even a small part of my life. And even though that my brother did way more drinking than me, I still was living a similar pattern. I mean, we, we all are who drink. It's just different levels and affects us differently. So the, the fear, too, kind of drove it in to say, you know what, I, I got to get away from this. And Aaron, 
when I quit drinking on September 7th, 2014, sure in the back of my mind, there were some reasons such as I won't have a hangover. I'm going to feel better physically. I'll be able to run for days in the mountains with my dog, Ben, but the majority of the pushing me into that direction was out of fear. I could tell, and I knew if I was going to continue to drink and my last drink was dumped out at a camping trip, just dumped out. I knew if I finished that beer, that death or I don't know. I don't, you just don't know. I don't want to play that game, but some terrible things were looming and it wasn't for a short while a couple, maybe a little bit after that, I could see the opportunity. And you've, you've heard me say on this podcast many times that quitting drinking is the opportunity of a lifetime and it's not a sacrifice. However, when I first started, I'll be honest, it was out of a fear stance from that standpoint. And then shortly I changed my rocket fuel, my sobriety fuel from I'm giving something up to, Oh my gosh, there's so much more available to me in an alcohol free life. Now in the past four months, have you been able to make that transition as well? Because coming at this out of, out of giving something up, there's a lack that we're not able to do something. It's kind of coming at it from willpower and isn't sustainable. So how has that transition been for you? It hasn't really been a, a major thing. I, when I stopped, uh, I continued doing everything else. But the the, the best uh, thing I've seen is the the mental abuse that my mind was going through. I didn't have to live every day. I mean, there, there were days that I would say, "You've got to stop drinking," and I'd be so mad at myself. I would go out and open the bottles and dump them down. And as I'm dumping them down, I'm going, "You're an idiot. You're wasting money." And then I thought, "Well, maybe if I take them out." in the in the yard and shoot them with my shotgun i'll be able to break free and i thought okay you're an idiot at this point <laughs> and i thought that's not going to do it so i didn't uh, otherwise i would have had a whole mess to clean up with glass and then it, it but now it's i'm having fun i wake up no headaches i haven't puked <laughs> after drinking a couple seltzers the night before uh, i wake up fine and i just feel I feel free of this. I felt like it was starting to control me because every restaurant that we were going, I'm like, well, it better have beer. We're not going to Cracker Barrel. It better have some good IPAs. And I would start looking for the highest IPA on the on the thing, you know, what has the highest alcohol content because my wife would only see me drink two, but if there were 9%, I'm getting like four beers out of this. So it was starting to, it, it was trapping me. Now I go, I'm, I don't care where we go out to eat because I'm going to have a, a glass of water with lemon or a seltzer or but I can have a meal. So it's it was the the mental confusion, the traps, the the uh, just mind games I was playing with myself is gone. And I feel good. I can do what I need to do without that crazy voice in my head bouncing back and forth with drinking or not drinking. It's done. So on October 6th, you take your last drink. On January 1st, your brother passes away and call it luck, call it divinity, call it synergy, call it coincidence, whatever. You've got a month or two, almost three months away from alcohol when a huge life moment happens, your brother passes. What got you through that without taking a drink? Because you had probably, the mind probably gave you some pretty good excuses there. Actually, it didn't. I was through it and I knew that when he died, it was because of alcohol. Oh, okay. There was not, there was no desire at all, and I I I, I, don't, I didn't know what to expect, but nothing, which I was quite surprised, but but very glad. And we've gone out, we've had dinners with people, and there was beer around, and rugby events, and 
I'm fine with it. It's just something else clicked this second time around that there isn't a desire mentally or physically. When I see a beer, I see it and I think, boy, that would taste good six months ago, but eh, it doesn't do anything for me now. So I just thank God that it's gone. And I just hope it stays that way for a lifetime. Well, it sounds like during that life event with the passing of your brother, you viewed it with clarity. And it wasn't as in, oh, I'm in pain, I need to take a drink, which nobody would fault you for that. And if you did feel those feelings, totally fine. You saw it from a different stance said, I could actually go down this pathway. This is not the direction I want to go. And if your brother knew the way you took that, I'm sure he does. He'd be like, Aaron, hell yeah, man, use this as as fuel on your journey. Because before we hit the recording button, you said it didn't have to end like that. It didn't have to be that way. Well, I feel everything happens for a reason. And this is a, this is a solid takeaway from it is this is going to propel you forward on your journey. Yeah. And I, I look at it as I want to do this not only for me, but when my kids, they see this and they saw this happen and they saw it progress over the years with him and they know why. I just pray that we can make a difference in my family and my kids, when they have kids, it's this, this can change. We can look at alcohol differently, which there's already been changes with my kids. Uh, they've drank less. Even my one daughter says, dad, I, if I even drink a beer anymore, I get a headache. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I just laughed. I said, oh yeah, you probably don't want to drink. And I tell him, I said, you should listen to this one podcast. You guys ever want to listen to this recovery elevator? It's, it's pretty cool. And uh, I posted that on Facebook once as well, probably at 90 days in. I, I just, I'm like, oh God, should I do this? And I posted, I said, hey, 90 days ago, I just decided I don't want to drink. And I listened to this amazing podcast. I, I put your thing no up. No way. What was the reaction? Uh, it was all positive. Of course. It was really cool yeah. that people said, because I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I have thousands of followers on my Facebook. I'm like, oh God, what what am I doing? But I didn't care. I'm like, who cares? I don't care what they think. So I sent it and I got back. Man, that's awesome. I stopped drinking last year. Drinking is such a poison. I don't want everyone to drink. And good for you, man. I, I think I can stop drinking too. So it was all positive. And uh, I just threw it out there to just see what would happen. And some people don't relate. It's funny. Like I'll tell people, my friends, and they look at me with a strange look like, You're, you don't have a problem. And I just let it go because they don't know me. And I say, mm, okay, don't say anything because they don't understand. I just let it go because I know I have a problem. And I know it's my problem. And I, I'm going to get through this. So I just let that part go. But it's all been positive. Yeah, when you said, I don't know what I'm doing, I do, Aaron. You're walking the walk. You're in the health and wellness field, and you're becoming the healthiest version of yourself. You're an authentic person who's speaking out, pushing through that fear. Others are relating to it. Yeah, I also ditched the booze. And some people, they're not going to get it. And maybe some people, not, they're not going to get it yet. That post, you might hear from people five, ten years down the road saying, hey, Aaron, a lot's happened since your post ten years ago. Can we chat? And Aaron, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. My man, let's do it. What is a light bulb moment? Oh, he just put his glasses back on everybody. <laughs> it's game time. <laughs> Aaron, what is a light bulb moment you've had on this journey? Light bulb moment when I saw my kids drinking and having problems that I had and it was affecting their life. And I said, I have to be an example. I can't let, I can't let my life influence them down the wrong path and uh and it was kind of a positive negative negative things happening to my kids but a positive thing that said i can do this things are going to change 
Now, what's a memorable moment a life without alcohol has provided you? This is a pretty simple like answer. I don't know that no no flavor to this one, but when we go out to restaurants and I order water with lemon, I think these memories that my kids are getting they, they could be the biggest influence in their life because now they see I don't have to order an IPA. Every time we went, I'm getting the beer list. They knew dad was getting a beer, several beers, and, and my wife would have to drive home. Now it's, hey, we can go out to a restaurant, and they're seeing it. I, I just know it's going to affect them later on in life. So I think that's really cool. So right now your kids are saying, okay, dad, that's cool, but I can guarantee it at one moment in their life, they're going to say, gosh, that is the most badass thing about my dad for ditching the booze. And what's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Is it soda water with some pineapple juice? Sounds delicious, by the way. <laughs> that was okay, but I just like seltzer. I drink any flavor of LaCroix, anything just bubbly water, bubbly seltzer water. It's my thing. And I may put a splash of juice in it once in a while, but that's it. I, I just like that. Every flavor. And what are some of your favorite resources? I only have one, and I'm not saying it's just because I'm on this podcast, I, I only listen to your podcast. I tried some other podcasts, looked at a few books, didn't resonate with me. I just listened to Recovery Elevator over and over and over. And that, I related to the people being interviewed and that, that changed my life. Thank you so much for listening, but it also sounds like you've got the support of your family. You burned some major bridges internally and also at 90 days. You burn some bridges on social media, which is huge. And, and Aaron, what's on your bucket list in an alcohol-free life? I just want to have family functions without beer. You know, when we do any kind of games, like my son and I, I'm taking my son. I'm playing in a rugby tournament this weekend in Fort Lauderdale, and I get to play with 50-year-olds for the first time instead of 20-year-olds, so I can't wait. But we're going down, and it's going to be an alcohol-free weekend. We're going to be about around a rugby events. So everyone's going to have beer and he's going to see that we don't need beer. It doesn't have to be part of our life. So I just look forward to having fun with the family and not having alcohol ruin it or need a ride home or somebody has, asking my daughter to drive home because we've been drinking. That's what's cool. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? Just keep listening. If, you, if you're listening to these, these podcasts, you hear this and you hear this voice within you say, oh, this might be a problem. All I did was I just kept listening. I kept digging in and asking questions and just thinking, could I do this without beer? What would it be like if I didn't have to drink? And it took a few years, but asking those questions and continuing to listen to your podcast changed my, changed my mind, changed my life, and it clicked. And when it clicks, your life changes. And before we depart, Aaron, give listeners your own, you might need to ditch the booze if line. <laughs> I, t I told this to my wife last night. <laughs> And she said, what? She goes, you actually thought that? So I, I think this is pretty good. You might be an alcoholic if when you're having drinks out at the restaurant, you go to the bathroom and your pee is clear and you say to yourself, yes, it's kicking in. The fun's going to kick in because you know now the beer's in your system. <laughs> yes, it's working. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> oh, I love those lines so much, Aaron. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, Paul. I, I appreciate what you're doing on this podcast. It changed my life and uh, keep doing everything you're doing. I love it. Thank you. And here's some fun info before we depart. When you look at a flower, some of the photons that entered your eye just ended a 100,000 year journey from the center of the sun. 
According to Neil Tyson deGrasse, in his book Astrophysicist for People in a Hurry, since the atom is 99.99, there's 13 nines after that, I'm going to spare you saying 13 nines, 99.99 empty space, 13 nines percent empty space, in theory, you could put all the matter in the universe. If you could take your hands and keep squashing it together like Play-Doh, you could fit all the matter, all the things you can touch into a thimble. When I heard that while listening to his book, I had to hit the back button a couple times. I was like, no way. But I definitely don't know better than Neil Tyson DeGrasse. Here's another fun one. No matter how fast our brain can process information, it can never be fast enough to experience the actual present moment. Everything we experience is the past. This is why when we think about being present, we've already missed this moment. All we can do is recognize we weren't present. This is something that's so profound because we can't think ourselves into it. The instant we try to think ourselves into it, the moment has already passed. And before we depart, I just want to say this. Nobody permanently stays away from the booze unless the life they have created is more rewarding and satisfying than the one they left behind. Recovery Elevator, you took the elevator down, you got to take the stairs back up. You can do this. I love you guys. Thank you.